It's okay to admit what you don't know. It's okay to ask for help. And it's more than okay to listen to the people you lead. In fact, it's essential. That is a quote by Mary Barra. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Welcome to episode 178. I am delighted to announce that I'll be speaking at Women in Tech, Texas on 19th through the 20th of May, 2022. This event offers an immersive educational experience for like-minded women to access proven strategies and tools to support them in their mission to achieve their career goals. Registration is now open. Book your pass today and secure a 15% discount with my special discount code. And that code is W-I-T-T-S-P-E-A-K-E-R-15. And the website is wwwwomen n tech-texas.com. The topic of this week's episode is leading up. My guest this week is Iggy Perillo. Iggy trains leaders and cultivates masterminds for professionals and athletes seeking excellence in their work, sport, and life. She created WSL Leadership to develop leaders and teams who make the world a better place through enhanced connection, communication, and trust. Iggy works with individuals and teams around the world so that they can overcome challenges and function like champions. Hi, Iggy. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hi, Trina. It's great to be here with you. It's great to be here and with you, looking at you in person. (laughs) Because we have both said that, you know, we've had some little scheduling conflicts and we finally see each other in the flesh, right? (laughs) Well, in the flesh via the screen. Yeah, it's perfect. It's better than nothing. It's better than nothing for sure. Right. Virtually. Okay. So this is how I start Trina Talk Off. I have every guest tell the listener who you are and how you became the Iggy that you are today. (laughs) (laughs) That is... uh... That's a great question, and I'm sure I'm going to give you the condensed version because I could. I'm I'm sure all your guests could just blabber on about themselves forever, right? Uh, I am. My name is Iggy Perillo. I am a leadership educator, so I help leaders use their emotional intelligence to build trust and respect on their teams and shift culture, get their teams to do amazing things, and really, my big picture goal is to help leaders make the world a better place through being wise leaders. So that is the thing I do. How I got here was, um, I think many people have had experiences over their lives of great leaders that they've worked with or been in the sphere of and not so great leaders. You've 
you know, encountered in different places. We're not going to name names, but we've seen this either personally or, you know, in the world around us, you know, whatever that we've seen people that we, we judge to be either awesome or not so awesome leaders. And I worked in the space of leadership education for a long time. Specifically, uh, I started my big chunk of my world is leading expeditions into the wilderness that were leadership development expeditions. So you bring together a group of strangers, often sometimes group of people that know each other from a one organization or school or whatever, often young people. My favorite age was sort of this college age, maybe late high school, early college age, young adults often in this for this employer and help them understand their leadership voice, understand how to be leaders, understand how to enact, like literally enact leadership for themselves with emotional intelligence, with trust, with respect, you know, with all these pieces, because we're on a trip, we're on an expedition together, we're in the wilderness, we actually need to get places, we actually need to set up camp, we need to make dinner, it's not going to happen by itself. So there are all these extremely tangible opportunities for people to have these really meaningful, like get things done, you know, like we got here, we didn't, right? It's pretty obvious, but also add this layer of, well, cool, but how are we doing this? Like, how is my leadership? How are you interacting with the team? Are you being authentic? Are you being what you think a stereotype of a leader should be? Are you falling into one of these sort of negative stereotypes or not? So I did this sort of work for many years and then added more employers along the way and more employers along the way. And then at a certain point, uh, realized how I think leadership education should be done is maybe I have my own spin on it. I'm a firm believer in the mastermind as a format for leadership development. And so bringing together people to talk specifically about what leadership means to them, what it matters, what what it is happening for them as a leader, but also the nuances of their situation. It's so different to be, I think, a leader in a really traditional corporate environment versus a leader in a uh, an organization that has a lot of volunteers or a nonprofit or just kind of different spaces, or a leader in your family, or a leader in your school, or a leader, you know, in your club or your sport or your, you know, all these different places. So that is sort of the basis of why I am have the organization, why I have the business I have, but also. The, what led me to be here now is that I think leadership education can be done in a way that's very human and very personal. And this is a place for a webinar or a lecture or a book or, you know, all those have their places. But I think you don't get to the really deep transformational leadership until you engage in a deep transformational personal way. And that's, I think, where masterminds fit into this landscape of leadership education. And so as an experiential educator in the woods and now on the screens <laughs> uh, and with people, um, that's, I think, the not the shortest, but a short story of how I got to be here now doing leadership education and investing in people to be better leaders so they can make the world a better place. I love it. Okay, so leadership is my thing. I don't know if you've known or not, but I spent 30 years in the Navy and I was an officer. And seeing that we lost uh, Colin Powell yesterday, who was a oh, yeah. Yeah, mentor I saw that. of mine, you know, that I, I loved and kind of you know, learn from his leadership principles, but leadership is so lacking. I've had good leaders. I've had poor leaders. And it's amazing because you get people who get promoted to leadership positions because they were a good widget maker. All right. And it doesn't necessarily mean they should be in leadership. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So what you're doing is like, I'm like, oh my God, yes, this is great. Tell me and tell the listeners, like, what are you seeing when you go out there and you get people, whether it's corporations or individuals that come to you and say, okay, I need, 
I want to improve my leadership or whatever. What are you seeing, the mistakes that you're seeing, and how are you correcting those? I think the there's this funny part where people don't say, I need to improve my leadership. They're, they say, my team is having some troubles. Or they say, there's a lot of conflict happening. You know, I don't know. I'm like... And I would say, I would add this layer of, there's a lot of people resigning and quitting spaces. And that's another reflection of leadership, any space that you might be in. If if people aren't willing to work with you and like the work for you is a weird power dynamic, by the way. But if they're not willing to work with you and leaving, this is something's uh, going on with your leadership and or the history of leadership and how people are treated and with, you know, these different facets of whatever space you're in, right? I think people come to me because usually they're like, there's some conflict happening. That's sort of where they start. That's the beginning of the conversation. Like I'm having these conflicts, things aren't going right. Or they'll say, the culture here seems off. The culture seems toxic even. Like they'll sort of kind of go to one of those two, either specific conflicts or the culture isn't great in some way. And so once you sort of get into, well, not like, well, why, why are you so terrible at leadership? But like, why, what is causing this? Like what's actually going on here? And I like to have people... D- step back for a second and, and we we jump to judgment really quickly. We're like, well, if it wasn't for blah, 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 or if, you know, someone else wasn't doing this, then everything would be fine. Or like, they're terrible at this or they're, ter-, you know, maybe all true. And what is actually happening? What's What are the behaviors you're actually seeing? What are the things that are actually going on? Maybe that are obvious, but also under the surface. What are these undercurrents that you're like, well, no one makes eye contact. I'm like, interesting. Okay, that's a different piece of information than, everything's toxic here. You know, those are different things and feed into each other, obviously, or, you know, the judgment is it's toxic. The behavior is no eye contact or every email is in all caps with 12 exclamation points, like whatever it is, like, like there are these things that we see that we try to, we, we judge or we try to jump right to solutions. So I think that's where I kind of connect with a lot of people. And often there are folks that I think, like you're saying, people get promoted based on tenure, like, Oh, you've been around here five years. Cool. You're the manager now. And people are like, just because you are great at your job doesn't mean you're a great manager. And so I spent a fair bit of time with people in this sort of rising leadership or emerging leadership within organizations. And I think it's many organizations are smart. They're like, oh, well, these people know this world. Let's promote them. Let's like move them up. I think there's like, it comes from this sort of place of like, well, if they know what's going on, they'll be better leader because they know what's going on versus often someone from who isn't from the organization or whatever reason, you know, like we, it, it makes sense. And that doesn't mean their skills are at all ready for that. And so, I mean, there are sort of things around leadership. I think the challenges I see that when I get down to it, like what are the challenges that their behavior isn't super authentic or they come off as trying to be something they're not. And I would say often there's a leader stereotype of like, I need to yell at people and they need to do what I say, or, you know, not yell at them. Like I tell them they do it. Like that's leadership, right? You know, and you're like, no, it's right. not. And especially if you're getting promoted within an organization, suddenly you have peers that you're in charge of, which is a very uh, awkward situation for some leaders. They're like, oh, wait, this is my buddy, but now I need to make sure that they're productive enough or meeting benchmarks, you know, whatever it is. Like, I'm in charge of them, whatever that looks like in the organization. And that's super uncomfortable and awkward. It doesn't need to be. You don't have to have this awkward situation because someone was your friend and now you're their, their boss in some situation. You can still be their friend. You can still be their boss. You can still hold them accountable and you can still have a positive relationship through all of those. So I think people try to jettison this relationship too quick that they have with people in order to act like some weird leader stereotype often or what they think a leader should be like or what they think is rewarded in leadership from their organization, which is another kind of tricky, messy layer to this whole thing. 
Oh yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And the, the like you said, the the widget maker, I call them the widget maker. Yeah, because, absolutely. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you know, because yeah, you know, just because you're the person who, you know, made the widgets well, and you know, yeah, let's promote them. And then people are going, oh, how did this person get into this position? And then that's when you start seeing people quit and then they don't know why, or it's just a whole mess. Cause I I've been a victim of it too. Military private sector wise is I'm going, wow. You know, how, how did this, how did this happen? It's like, I could bring my four-year-old in who had more leadership yeah. than this person, you know, and it's, it's so sad. Um, but it's funny you say how, when they contact you, it's, oh, um, yes, something's going on here. We don't, you know, don't know quite what's going on and we need you to fix it. But how long, how long is it? Or do they ever realize that maybe it's you because it starts from the top, right? We all know it starts from the top and it trickles down. How many people realize that? Or do you have to just kind of say, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) It's a mix. It depends on the person and the situation, obviously a little bit. But I think especially when people say, oh, the culture here is so toxic. And my question that I don't ask, but in my mind is like, what are you doing to create such a toxic culture, right? But, you know, that's not question number one. Usually you have to get to know people and build some rapport a little bit. But I think when um, when people realize, and sometimes people are, they come in and they sort of inherited, like they feel like they've inherited a toxic culture. They're like, oh, this is how it, it always is here. Or there are certain industries or organizations where like, well, this is just how we work. And I'm like, mm-hmm. it sounds terrible and no one likes it. And yet that's, this is how it is. And so there is some inertia, you know, that people are sort of grappling with a little bit. And I think there's a point where, I mean, I, my approach is usually, cool, what can you do about it? What are you going to do about it? What what are you, like, how are you going to make sure that you can actually change culture? Because culture is a huge, messy thing within an organization. People, there's behavior, there's people, like, relationships that are weird all over the place. There's different dynamics that are, you know, or don't know. Like, there's a lot to like within an organization with team culture, there's just a lot going on. You see that you don't see all these different pieces. And so I think I try to help leaders fundamentally understand like what are their foundations, their leaderships. And to me, it's like, what are your actual personal values that are going to sustain you throughout this really hard process you're going to engage in? If you're going to try and shift culture, great. You have to know where you stand. If you, you know, really believe in integrity, awesome. If that's really true, great. If you just say that because you think people think integrity is a positive word to believe in, but you're like, well, I believe in integrity when it's easy. I'm like, that's actually not integrity. Great. Like, <laughs> let's cut back to another value that you actually consistently, you know, believe in and act through and, you know, that informs your actions. So once you sort of understand these things and you can see how they're present or not present, I think that's where I give leaders sort of this perspective on like, oh, if I actually believe in um, treating people with respect. And yet I don't see that within this organization. Cool. Now I have a way that I can engage with people. I'm like that seems respectful. This doesn't, this, you know, you have a place to stand. So I sort of help leaders dial back to where, what their foundational, often personal values are. And sometimes also the mission or vision or like the goals of that team. You know, if you, if you think the team goals are win at all costs and someone else thinks the team goals are, you know, be great friends, you might encounter some conflict. So that is sort of another space where I help leaders understand the landscape around them and then decide, well, how am I going to do these things? But how am I going to do them in a way that continues to build connection? Because I think like we were both saying, without a sense of connection with your people, with your teammates, things aren't awesome. I mean, you can get stuff done. You can do a lot with no connection and, you know, just grudgingly doing the, you know, you're doing your time, whatever that means. 
but you do so much more, so much better, so much more effectively, so much more creatively if you have connection and support, you know, that supporting sense of connection within your team. And when you mention connection, what exactly does that mean to you and to the companies that you're helping? What is the connection as far as in a leadership role? That's a great question too. I think it can look different ways in different things. And I think this is where the authenticity of the leader has to come through, right? I think there's this sort of school of thought where you need to know everyone's that you work with their name, their birthday, their kids, their favorite pet, their, you know, whatever, the stuffed animal they had as a child. Cool. If that's an inter- something you're curious about to know the life history of each of your teammates, great. Get to know them. That's one sort of style of connection that can happen if that feels authentic to you. If you as a leader are like, I don't like I'm not into their home life, but I'm into like their hobbies or other things like great pursue that like whatever it is um because it comes off if you're inauthentic if you're like oh tell me about your kids and someone's like you're just asking this because it's like a checklist like are you making are you filling out a form like it just comes off as super weird and awkward and is not connection building so i mean you might need as a leader need to cultivate your curiosity what am i curious about about my teammates and it could be like if you're like often we start with what we're excited about to like kind of put on our other people like oh i love whatever I love gelato. I'm going to talk with them about gelato all the time. Like their eyes will roll back in their head if they're like, I don't eat dairy. Like whatever. Like why do you keep talking to me about this? Whatever it is. So you have to engage with curiosity and not just from what is interesting and exciting to you both. And I think there are a lot of connections that we find. And maybe you both love reading this kind of book. Maybe you both love poetry. Maybe you both, you know, whatever it is. I think there's connection is like a very human thing. It's not just like, oh, hey, we're working in cubicles next to each other, you know, can you like do that faster? Like that's not really connection. Like conversation is not connection, but I think that is knowing how people think and how they function. So if you're this emotionally intelligent leader, you need to think about how people are feeling about the things they're doing, right? Like if I'm doing something, if we're both, you know, here, win at all costs, you know, whatever our team is. And I think that's really inspiring. And you think that's really like aggressive and like makes you sort of shrink back in. If, if I don't know how you're thinking about our mission and our goals, like we're pretty disconnected, right? We're not on the same page. It's not going to, we're not going to sort of build the sense of camaraderie, which is, you know, a piece of what connection can look like. But if I understand how you think or how you feel like, oh, you're a huge big picture person. This is where this fits in together. And I can connect with you on, you know, you're a big picture person. Great. Or I can connect with you on like, oh, you're really into the fine details. And you want like the little nuanced, like little tiny things. Awesome. Understanding how you think is another great way to build connection. So I can basically communicate you with you in a language that resonates with you and matters to you. And if it, you know, it could be big picture, it could be details, it could be concrete, it could be abstract thinking. Like there's just sort of different ways people process the world and those levels of emotional intelligent, emotionally intelligent awareness build such strong connection among people. Like even if we don't agree, even if we think this is a terrible strategy, but I know you love the details and you know that I love the big picture and we're like, cool, we we're both on the same page. Like we're connected we don't necessarily have to agree on everything. We just need to know how each other are coming at it. You know, and I love what you're saying about the connection piece, but to be connected, it, it, it does require being authentic, being authentic, having a level of, I will say emotional intelligence, but not even that deep, but just a sense of caring, you know, just, um, and not just about yourself. And I've talked about this before on the podcast, and I give this example of I worked this job. I had this second line supervisor, so my boss's boss, and it totally the guy 
was like just wicked, right? But he would see me and he would say, hi, Trina, How's, how are you and your two boys? And I, I'll say, I don't have two boys. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you know, and he, he did this several times after the first time I'm telling him this. And so it got to a point where I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to even bother correcting him anymore because it's not, he doesn't care. It's not authentic. He doesn't care. You know, I've told him this a couple of times and I was just like, why even say anything? I would have preferred him just to say, hey, how are you and your children? Then how are you and your two boys? When I told him I didn't have two boys. And then the next time, I mean, he repeatedly did this and I was just going, this really proves to me that he doesn't give a damn. Absolutely. Your your relationship was like, it made it worse. It made it worse. I can see it in your face. Like it made it so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just, I was just like, oh my God. And, you know, and then of course, other things happened with him that really proved that. But I was like, oh my goodness. And then at the same place, I had a first line supervisor who it was all about him and it and he was totally out of touch. So I would eat lunch at my desk. And, you know, we know what time people take lunch, just eh, 11 to one, whatever. I'm at my desk eating lunch. That's when he decides to come out of his office because I'm pretty sure he was done with his lunch. He goes, hey, how, so how's it going? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm going, I'm trying to eat my lunch. I don't want a small chat with you. Um, this is my time. If you want a small chat, come back to me after lunch when I'm on company time. And then it just got to a point because, again, was it was all about him. It got to yeah, a point where yeah. I just had to start ignoring him. When he come around, I wouldn't even turn around to acknowledge him <laughs> because I was just like, this is so frustrating because I'm thinking, OK, you're talking about nothing, which is taking up my lunch time. Mm-hmm, and, th- mm-hmm. and then he would go into this whole thing about, well, you know, because he, you know, he knew I was in the military. Well, you know, in 1872, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> Like a totally terrible effort at connecting in every way, in every way. It is like, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm like, okay, first of all, God, I served for 30 years. I don't care what happened. And then he would go, well, you know, I have two degrees in military history. And I was like, so what? (laughs) Yeah. What can you do with people like that? Because I think just in as a whole in companies and organizations as a whole, I think Leadership training is lacking. Severely. Oh, yeah. I 100% agree with you there. Even And when they do leadership training, it's like, hey, well, here's how to be more efficient at your processes. Here's how to be yes. a project manager. Here's how to do this, you know, other thing or whatever. But they don't always get to the like, here's how you are emotionally intelligent. Here's how you are like a wise leader, not just a productive leader, you know, whatever that means. And if, and I think there's this funny part where they're like, well, to, to get your team to be more productive, you need to get to know them. And so they're going to blabber at you about small talk about military history, you know, like some other thing, like it's, but in their brain is like, this is step number 27 on my productivity checklist. And you're like, oh my God, like, this is not helpful. Or it doesn't, it doesn't even sound not very aware for sure. And right. like, and your other person just sounds like dehumanizing, like, oh, you're two boys. And you're like, I, like, you're, you know, and people make a mistake, fine, whatever. But like repeatedly, I'm like, oh, that just is like galling. Like, come on, get it together. But I think there's a place where there's this fun, amazing concept called leading up, right? Like the, wherever you are within the organization, whatever your role is, sometimes you need to be the one training your leader to lead better. And I think the... um 
And some organizations, some leaders, I would say, are more open to this than others. And there's a lot of relationship that's involved and how um, your communication flows between you and this this other person. And so I think, I mean, I'm all about the very, my style that I, is very clear and direct. Like, hey, I don't know if you know this is my lunch right now. Can we talk about this at two o'clock when I'm done? You know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, great. Like, that sounds really interesting for you. And then, then at two o'clock, like, great. If they want to blabber your ear off and you don't get any work done, like, <laughs> I guess this is how the company wants to use its time. Like, I don't know. But I think the, uh, um, yeah. So I would, I generally advise for this pretty clear, pretty direct, but also like, you know, we're still people here together. It's not like back off, you jerk. You know, like that's not going to help, even though that's might be what you're thinking or feeling a little bit. But to engage people, like with sort of this base layer, I think when you were talking about like how to connect with people, it's like really this layer of like compassion. Like how can I be compassionate for this person who's like, what are they actually trying to do? I think they're trying to, I can't tell if they're actually trying to get to know me or if they're just trying to like make themselves feel important because they have degrees in something that's remotely related to something they think they know about me. Like, okay, cool. If you, if this is a conversation where our goal is to make you feel important, Let's do that on company time, definitely. If this is, you know, like we need to connect and hang out, like actually what I need right now is to eat my lunch and like decompress a little bit and be, to be ready for the afternoon or, you know, to take my break, you know, whatever it is. Right. Like I think there are reasons why people have breaks in their day. You know, right. they they actually do work better when you take a break and step away. Obviously eating is important. Like obviously <laughs> taking care of yourself, important things. So maybe, I mean, I think this, yeah, like I, there's a there's sort of these different formats for like how to deal with like these situations when they actually arise and there's like um scripts that people follow and i have this checklist i made that's like this conflict management checklist but it's dealing with bozos and bullies like we deal with like a lot of bozos out there and it sounds like some of your people are like just like a little bit of like a bozo and you're like what is he like what is your deal like why are you doing this but like without understanding they might not understand what your concern is. Like those, both of those people you described sound like just not very emotionally aware, mm-hmm. <laughs> just broadly speaking, you know, like they yeah. don't quite, they're not quite reading the room. They don't quite get what you're doing. They don't get that this is, you know, not working, you know, whatever, like the part, like they're not learning from the situation. They're just right. kind of blabbering through it in some weird way that, but they're not reading that. I'm sure you're like, you know, the look on your face is probably like, what is happening? Or I'm sure you said something too, like, can we talk about this later? Like whatever right. it is. And it's not, you know, it's just missing them. Like they don't get it. It's not happening for whatever reason. So without like actually saying what your concern is, sometimes people don't know. Like they it is mind boggling when people don't know, Hey, this is my lunch. Can you come back later? Like, Oh, I didn't realize it was your lunch. Like you're like the food, the, here's my sandwich. It's going in my mouth. Like <laughs> this is like, you didn't know, you know, but people like would be, you'd be amazed what people don't actually pick up on or don't know or don't get, or, you know, whatever it is. So being like really clear with what your concern is, why it matters to you. And then here's what I want to have happen. Like kind of all three of these parts matter a little bit. Like, hey, this is my lunch right now. Like I'm, my concern is like, you're interrupting my lunch. Like, yeah, you're actually interrupting it. I'm trying to get the food <laughs> into my mouth. Uh, it, it feels just like, you know, disruptive of my time. It feels, it could be disrupt, disrespectful of your time. Right. It could be, you know, whatever it feels to you. It feels like, like you're distracting me is irrelevant right now. And Hey, can we come, can we talk about this later? Whatever the request is, can you like, you know, come back to me later, send me an email, whatever it is, you know, just some other way, because without, I think if you just tell people like, Hey, this is my lunch, they're like, so 
you know, right. like who cares? And if you're like, this, this is my lunch and you're interrupting it. They're like, well, well, you know, there's this space for being defensive or, well, I have a better idea of how you should use your time. Like whatever it is, yeah. some weirdness there. And so without that sort of third piece, people are like, oh, this is what's happening and you want me to come back later? Great. And it's, it's really about their behavior, right? And right. even though we conflate people and their behavior, like, oh, this person's a jerk because they have are not reading the room whatsoever, what's happening with me or how this is happening. Yes. And, but their actual behavior is interrupting your lunch or talking to you while you're trying to eat, you know, like, or it, just getting in your space when you like, with time, your own time, like when they're, right. they're in there. So without, once you like establish sort of these, like clarifying all these different pieces, I think leaders, even some dense leaders, like it takes them a couple rounds to figure this out. But, and I'm sure the person who's like, well, how about your two boys? You're like, I don't, you know, like, what do you do in that situation? Like, oh, are you trying to get to know me? You're doing it badly. <laughs> like, <laughs> Right. And, cool. and that's the thing. It's like, wow. And, and see, and this is what I, I want to ask you. When you go to these companies, do you spend like time, like just maybe a day or something, just kind of observing? Because mm-hmm. like you said, they call you in and they say, oh, the culture is toxic or <laughs> we got things going on here and I don't understand. And, you know, and, you know, going in first off, I'm pretty sure you're like, okay, you don't know what's going on. So you're listening to what they're saying. But I think a lot of times if you observe some of these leaders, you will see. And what I really hate is the the famous 360 review. Okay? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because nobody can, it, it's, it's like a waste of time. They tell you to do, oh, tell us how you feel about your manager, blah, blah, blah. And then nothing happens. So then you get people who don't want to do it. And then you get, you know, then they complain about, well, nobody's doing the survey because nothing happens. Nothing happens. So how do you address this? And do you have any advice advice for organizations when they're doing things like this? Not only when you're working directly with the leadership, but how they can continue to um, help their leaders grow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, I do try to observe as much as I can within an organization before I have to, before I do something with them or I ask, I think I just, I also, sometimes it's just not possible because of the geography or the time or like, I'm going to be zooming in. So I'm like, well, I, who, like, it's just hard, you know, right. it's just weird awkwardnesses sometimes that there were that can happen, but it is awesome to watch this, to just sort of be the, when there are situations where I can sort of be at the, the fly on the wall and just kind of just like, just see what's going on, just see how things are flowing oh, this is how you work together. Okay. Like this is how things are happening. Great. And sometimes you, you you hear some of the sort of undertones that are happening, you know, you see what happens when the leader leaves the room, you see what happens, you know, like you just can observe that, which is so great. And uh, I mean, there's another level of really great is being able to just to talk to more people. And it's sometimes weird coming in to be like, who are you talking? You know, like, why are you chatting with me? Whatever. Like, or like, oh, you're here to tell my me that I'm doing a bad job. You know, I'm like, like, there's a lot of layers to get through. But it's so great to observe for sure first and just kind of see what's happening. And sometimes it's not possible. And so the in those cases, asking the leader more about, I mean, that's where some of those more direct questions come around too. Like, well, how is your leadership affecting this? Like, what are you actually taking action on? What are your goals or your vision? What are your intentions for having you know me work with you in this group of people? What is What do you want the team to do that they're not doing? What do you, what do you want them to do more of that they are doing? You know, just kind of more, just a little more questions to sort of get their perspective. And ideally- there's often like a leader and like a sub leader or a vice, you know, like whatever someone else, like a often sort of a co-leader or sort of like the next 
the next in command. So I try to get their opinion, similar perspective and opinion too, which is sometimes dramatically different from the other, you know, like, I'm like, wait, you two, you two work together, right? On the same thing and the same company. Like, okay. So trying to get that information. Um, Oh no, now I've like got on that tangent, but I forgot. Like the other part was, what was the other part you were just asking me? How do you help them continue to, you know, foster great leadership? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think there is, I feel like there's a lot of momentum that you can start, right? So getting people started thinking about just whatever my values are, like, cool. How do I be reflective practitioners? Like, am I acting in alignment with my values? If something feels or looks weird, it's probably because somehow it's conflicting with my values somewhere. So being super values aware for me helps people a lot. And then they're like, oh, wait, how can I act more in alignment with my, with my values and serving our mission and serving our goals and serving our teammates? So that's sort of like the next layer. Got my values. I'm acting in alignment with those. Okay, now our values and mission is aligned. And now somewhere in there, through all these layers, how are my values and mission aligned? And I'm treating people with trust and respect. I'm building trust and building respect in, in how I go about doing this. Like the way I do it, I can have this, you know, Integrity, again, can be my number one value. And if I yell at you about integrity constantly, I'm still damaging relationships. I'm still not helping us move forward because I'm like, no, be more, have more integrity, like whatever it is. So this is like where I see masterminds fitting in because that gives you just this layer of perspective and to train yourself to reflect and be like, well, how did I do? What is happening? Is this really working out the way I expected it to? What pieces am I missing? And building the sense of, as a reflective practitioner, also being very curious about how things are actually going and you talked about the 360 review, which was thought to be an improvement on like the annual review, right? Like if you just get an annual review from one pe- person, like mm-hmm. nothing happens, you know, right. often. But if you get an annual review from 10 people, well, maybe something will happen. It doesn't. It's <laughs> just more doesn't. people's time. Not equally uh, ineffective, I think, in a lot of um, – there's research on that. Like there's, I think, probably 12 Harvard Business Review articles on how 360 reviews aren't didn't save the day like we thought they would. But I think the this is where that relationship matters with your people. And I know some people sort of have um, diffuse chains of command, right? Like, like well, I'm, I guess I'm in charge of these 40 people, but they're not my direct reports, but they kind of are. And, you know, it's just a, a little bit of a mess. But unless you understand how people are doing and how, how, unless you know them and have that relationship and connection with them, this is where connection comes back in. You don't really know how they're doing. You don't know how well they could be doing. You don't know if like things aren't going well for them. And so I think that's a much more telling review is to like be in a place with your people where you can actually get good feedback from them directly. And this is where the leadership ego needs to like take 12 steps back because you're like, well, I'm doing an amazing job. And look, we've met all of our, we've made millions of widgets and you're like, cool. And everyone's having a terrible time and 12 people just quit. And, you know, like all these other things and no one is working, you know, these other shifts because it's the worst place to be in their entire lives. And they, no one, you know, you just keep whatever there's, signals, you know, like of, in different places. So it's great you're meeting some whatever production benchmarks, but without right. understanding these other aspects of connection and how to be emotionally intelligent, I think that's where well, that's where humans suffer. And that's where leadership is causes human suffering, right? You know, if I'm just like, well, we need to produce more. I'm who am I? Am I just a machine? Like why am I even here? Like why am I why do you have people working for you if you just if more production is the the big goal, right? So mm-hmm. taking some steps back from those to be able to interact with your people and have those 
conversations and not everyone has great feedback for you and not everyone and some people have great feedback but they don't have a venue to share it and they're just being disempowered and you know in their space or they have ideas or you know there's a lot of people in the process and doing the work that know how to improve the work but they don't have anyone to tell it to or they tell it to someone they're like yeah no yeah whatever whatever you know they just get blown off i think there's um but in spaces where people can a leader can be open to that feedback and do a good job of soliciting it to that let people know that if you tell me I'm not doing something well, I'm not going to fire you right now. Like you need to have a level of like, we can, we're on the same page here. This is going to help us all do better. If I know how to do better as a leader and you, then I can serve you better as the teammates and then we can all do whatever we're doing better together. But yeah, I think there's ego gets tricky for some leaders in that space. Oh, depth. Definitely. Now, tell me about your masterminds, because you say not only do you work with professionals, you work with athletes. So I'm I'm curious about your work you do with the athletes and your mastermind. Yeah. So I know the word mastermind is out there in the world and it means a million different things. So when I say a mastermind, what I mean is a small group, like four or five people. So very small that meet together regularly over time. And my schedule is twice a month and six months or a year, like long time frame. And so within that group, the people stay the same, the, you know, and the big umbrella is usually leadership, but I try to focus it on a, um, if it's a group of, like, I try to get either a cohort that's similar or of similar work or sort of similar goals in different ways. So it might be, they might all be athletes. They might all be leadership leaders within athletic, you know, disciplines or within athletic realms, or they might be leaders within a corporate space or leaders within uh, a nonprofit space, for example, because that then they suddenly have levels of connection that are really, like, they can cut out a lot of the small talk. It's like, oh yeah, we're all on the same page. Like they don't have to start from ground zero. They, they're they like, you know, three steps along the way already because they they speak the same language. They understand each other's process and where they're at and how they're operating. So I bring these cohorts together and it really is about what their challenges that they're facing in the moment are the venue toward, cool, well, how can you be better in every moment? Like, mm-hmm. oh, you're feeling uh, stressed because your boss comes in and blabbers at you during your lunch? cool, let's talk about how, what does that say about how your boss is operating, but also how the power dynamics are working out or how you are communicating or how the boss is communicating or what the expectations are for this organization. And so through that like small situation, like we could talk about that for like an hour and blah, 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 you know, like that's not exactly what will happen, but that is like a window into how you're thinking about the situation, but also trying to understand how the the other people are thinking about it. And then you're like, great. So I've solved this. Like, cool. Your homework is to go have this conversation, blah, blah, blah. Great. You go do it. The next time we come back and you're like, oh, I had this conversation. Here's what happened. It was great. It was weird. Whatever. What can we learn from that? So you're constantly training people to reflect and like develop their practice as a leader while at the same time dealing with the very nuanced situations people have. Because if your boss coming to your desk and being, you know, blabber on your time, can look very different than someone else in a different organization whose boss comes in and is like blabbering their ear off during their lunch. It just, you know, depending, you know, if you're on the factory line and you're like literally trying to put stuff together and someone's, you know, in your ear, it's going to be different than like, Hey, I need to get back to like writing this, like whatever um, copy for this ad or so, you know, it just is different and sort of different vibes in different places. So having people understand what's going on for them specifically and personally helps them understand how they're leading up, leading down, like leading across within their organization. And so that's how they, the meeting over time gives people chances to try new things, reflect, come back, try new things. And you have this cohort of other leaders in the same space around you, offering ideas, offering suggestions, kind of helping stoke your curiosity sometimes. Like mm-hmm. if, if someone comes into one of my groups and they're like, oh, I have this person, they're just driving me crazy. 
other people can be like, oh, I had a similar person or like, have you thought of this? Like, is this what's going on? Have you considered this thing as sort of avenues to explore that challenge or explore that relationship a little bit more? Do you know them? Did you just tell them, hey, I, you know, how are your three girls doing 12 times? And they're like, I don't have three girls, you know, like whatever it is, like people right. inspire this level of curiosity that's super personal, though. You know, it's that situation it's those people. And that leads to really transformational growth and change for leaders because it is so personal and reflective and continues to build people's confidence and sense of mm-hmm. their abilities, but also like a layer of authenticity, right? If you're sitting in this room with four people, you know, Zoom room with four people and they know you, they've seen you over time. Suddenly you're like, well, you know what? I decided to bring everyone lollipops today. And people are like, that doesn't seem like you. Like, that's weird. And, you know, like they'll they'll see through a little bit, of you know, as they get to know each other, what's weird, but also push you to be like, yeah, you totally should bring lollipops because here's how you need to like deliver that. So it comes off as authentic to you. Like it doesn't, right. It's not, it's not prescriptive, but it's hyper-personal. And that's where I think transformation really happens within the mastermind group. Oh, nice. And and with your athletes, and it's, it's funny because when you, when I think of an athlete, especially a professional one, I think of a form of leadership because mm-hmm. you think that's what has to happen, especially when you're you're in that space and you're, you're dealing with type A people and, and things like that. So how do you work with them specifically? In just when whatever training, <laughs> yeah, masterminds in all the that? ways, yeah. A lot of my work with athletes has been in the team context, and so I find that teams, uh, even though you think like we're all on the same page, we all are doing the same thing, we all you know we know what our plan is. It's, it's people come at it from a lot of different perspectives and with a lot of different values, and they're not always they're not always on board with how it's being done or mm-hmm. what the goals are. If one person says. Our goal is to crush our opponents every time we're on the track. And someone else is like, well, yeah, but our goal is also to be like a cohesive group together and really do more because we're a cohesive, supportive team. Like, yeah, those can both happen, but they can also, that can also be sort of space for a riff, you know, where people are like, well, I'm here to enjoy myself and have a good time. Well, I'm here to be really aggressive, you know, like as these kind of distant stereotypes, right? And bringing people together is fascinating in those conversations that sometimes with athletes, often I'm facilitating a conversation with the whole team, right? The whole group around what are cool. You're all different, unique people. You all bring different places, you know, different perspectives, different, you're from different spaces, but what are your team values? Like what is your team value together that makes this team unique and special with this group of people in this season, in this year, in this time, you know, people come and go like whatever with this group right now, what is unique and special and what are the values of this people of, of this group of people? And often um, someone somewhere in this process will say like, well, I want us to be like a family, which is this huge, like ding, like, well, what does a family mean? Like, right. what is like, whose family? Like, what does it mean to be a family? Does that mean tolerate whoever, even cause they're like the black sheep? Or does that mean right. like, I have to drop everything when they need to ride to the airport? Does that mean like, what does this mean to be a family in this context? You know, so families is kind of, and I think that's like in the corporate environment, like becoming more red flaggy when your corporate environment says, Hey, we treat everyone here like family. I'm like, like whose family? What's family? Like what? It's, it comes from this place of like, oh yeah, it's a positive, warm, like whatever, lots of hugs, and you're like, I don't think so. Like I don't think that's really what is happening, or what you mean, or you know, it's kind of weird messaging sometimes. So when I'm working with athletes too, even though they seem like they're like the the easy part is like things are really tangible, like wins and losses, points scored. You know, like there's a lot of very tangible metrics, and people know their role in a very specific way. Like I do this part. Like I'm, this is my job. Like often those pieces are super clear 
Yet, I think with any um, team sport, like so much communication ha- needs to happen. And there's actually a lot of trust and respect that needs to happen. And when, when there's not trust among teammates uh, as, on the athletic field, as well as in a corporate environment, things aren't don't go as well as they could in whatever metrics you're measuring by. Either how people feel, scoreboard, widgets, like whatever it is. And so like working with athletes means sometimes building the sense, not the sense of trust, but building avenues for trust to happen and avenues for people to communicate clearly, which sometimes is like, what are our values? What are, how do we want to communicate as a team? What is okay in this space? Because sometimes it it just hasn't been defined. And I think you mentioned before that leaders aren't trained to be leaders sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people aren't necessarily trained to be teammates sometimes. They're not trained Mm -hmm. to be great followers. And so I, I work out both of those sort of concepts in terms of how to help these people accomplish their goals in a way that's sustainable and healthy and, you know, effective also fundamentally. Wow. That's, uh, that's amazing. Just, and you know, you said sometimes athletes are not team players, you know, they, they were, and it's interesting because you would think being an athlete, especially, I mean, as long as it's not, it's, it's a team sport, not a solo sport, but when you're in a team sport, you would think that, okay, you have learned and been disciplined to be a team player, but that's not necessarily true for everyone. Yeah. And that's like that, that term would be a team player. That means something so different in the corporate world, right? That means like pipe down and do your job is what they mean when they say be a team player mm-hmm. versus like in the athletic space, it only, it can mean something similar, like shut up and do your job as a, you know, on the field or whatever, but also it can mean, but I think there are pieces of like, like literally just followership is what I call it because people don't have great followership skills sometimes like, and those are also learnable. Leadership skills are learnable. Followership skills are equally learnable. Wow. This episode is being sponsored by True Vision. Have you lost hope in starting your business? Lost steam or just do not know where to go from here? See with True Vision and define your path. The True Vision Project seeks to heal, rebuild, and transform your online business from the inside out. For more information and early access for only Trina Talk listeners into the True Vision Project, send an email to connect at definingpaths.info. Make sure to mention that you heard about it on Trina Talk. All right, Iggy, we're going to get into uh, the questions because this is this is my jam leadership. So we could talk all day. Yes, <laughs> I've been, it's been fun. It's been fun for sure. <laughs> OK, who or what motivates you? Mm. <laughs> uh, I am motivated by seeing people have that sense of accomplishment after they do something. So they've they're. I know they're facing a challenge in whatever venue, like obviously leadership is mine. When I see them take action and come back and be like, you know, it could be that wasn't that bad. Or they could be like, I did that thing. Like that sense of, oh, that's that's a part of me now. I have this capability is super motivating to me. Mm-hmm. What demotivates you? I was talking to someone recently about whining. I'm like, whining is demotivational. You're right. When people are like, oh, I can't do it. Or, oh, it's not possible. Or, uh, you know, there's a range where realism is great. And there's a range where, like, save your breath. D- try something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, when was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? 
Hmm. <laughs> I remember uh, a leader that I respected telling me that I was too sarcastic once, and I probably am probably still too sarcastic. But at the time, I was like, no, I'm not. They argued about it. I'm like, I'm facetious. It's totally different than sarcastic. And like, it just got super ridiculous about it. This is not recently, by the way. This is some past learning I've had a chance to reflect on. But at the time, I was like, wow, oh, that really hurt. Like, you're, and I took it personally. I'm like, oh, you're telling me I'm terrible at this. You know, you're telling me I'm a bad person. But in reality, they were trying to help me be a better communicator fundamentally. And it worked out, I think, better in the end. I can be sarcastic at times, but, and also can be more aware. Like, it really just brought something to my attention that I wasn't, uh, I wasn't giving enough attention to, like, the mm. effects of that. What is your fear? What is my fear? I think I fear that people become apathetic and just accept situations that they shouldn't accept and in that process disempower themselves. Mm. Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? I feel like yes all the time, but I'm trying to think of a specific example. (laughs) I wish I had done something. Oh, well, I mean, there's... I can't, like, a specific one will probably come to my mind and, like, as soon as we're done with this. But I feel like there's, you know, play things through my head, being a reflective practitioner. I'm like, what could I have done differently? How should I have said that differently? You know, that that turned out kind of weird. Or they, it didn't, communication broke down. How can I, like, re, how should I have rephrased that or reframed that? I don't, I feel like those situations, though, like, usually somehow I can email them or text them the next day or call them up again, you know? So I try to, when I have that sense of, like, I should have done that differently. There's usually something I can do to like, to work on that. Like, Oh, I think I recently, I was teasing a friend of mine and I was like, I think like we got off the call and I was like, I think I was being a little too harsh. You know, I thought it was kind of funny teasing and she was like, uh, you know, whatever. And later I was like, I think I actually need to apologize. I think I was, you know, it was just, it didn't go well. It, right. Like I felt a weird vibe and later she was like, it was fine. You know, whatever it worked fine, but I think it was worth it for me to, like right. do something different. But at the time I was like, I, yeah, it didn't, I, that didn't land right. You know, right. I've had right. that feeling for sure. Is there a time that you wish you had not done something? I'm sure this is another one where I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> wish I had not done something. I think, that, I mean, I can think of times when I, maybe believed people without them. I trusted people without them earning my trust that Mm -hmm. I think has not, maybe not always awesome in a certain way. And I I think it's just a little more sort of context. And it's like a little more subtly dependent, you know, on the person where I'm later, I'm like, oh, this person's so great. They're so great. Then later being like, you know, they're just not that great. Like, (laughs) why, why was I, I mean, I can see why I thought this. And that was a bummer that I, I trusted them or, you know, thought that things were that they were really someone I should be supporting. And I'm like, you know, they're they're not. Like yeah. that's a bummer that I did that. And that reflects on, you know, me and my choices and whatever. But yeah. Yeah. What is your definition of success? Crushing it all the time. <laughs> uh not at all. because uh, success is well, I mean, I don't know if this is a great answer, but success is happiness. And happiness is striving. So success is striving. Mm. So after you're doing all this training, how do you recharge? Mm, I read a lot of books. Uh, I spend a fair amount of time outside. I try to be outdoors every day. I happen to live a place where um, there's a lot of trees and um, hills. 
So I get to spend time in the trees and hills, even though it's like neighborhoods. It's not like crazy weird forest. But yeah, I try to do that. I try to sleep a lot. Try to, you know, yeah, those I think are what I do to reach. I watch a lot of movies too. That's not, that is maybe more the guilty pleasure. What are you awesome at? (laughs) Hmm. I think I'm awesome at helping groups have hard conversations that they need to have and facilitating those conversations in a way that they actually are useful to the team that has them. What legacy do you want to leave? A better world with better leaders in it. Mm. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. Well, <laughs> so I'm boiling it down. I think no matter who you are or where you are or what role you have within a food chain or a team or an organization, you can do things to make it better. And they might seem small or they might seem subtle and they still matter. And so you can do those things and you can make things change. You can make change happen. You can make things better. You can be a positive influence on the people and things around you, no matter what, no matter who you are. Tell the listeners how they can connect with you if they want you to help their toxic culture. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or if they don't have leadership challenges, but like there's weird stuff happening. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, They can find me online most easily. I'm at WSLleadership.com. And that has my all my things there and ways to find me, my upcoming masterminds, my workshops, my writing that I do, articles, all the things that are found there. And uh, like literally people can just email me. I'm very, very much on the email and it's I'm Iggy at WSLleadership.com. I don't mind telling people that if they have questions or ideas or concerns, like really I love, I mean, I love talking with you. I love talking with people. I love connecting and helping people lead better and make the world better. If you like Trina Talk Podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their lives? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.